All right, it is Monday. It is that time of the day where we meet with our friends over at Blacklock Supporting who do all the digging that needs to be done and uh, end up finding a whole lot of stuff that leads the way into a lot of the news coverage we do these days. No one does more digging or has a bigger shovel than Mr. Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Blacklock's Reporter. Good to have you, Tom. Thank you, Alex. So, of course, I'm sure it did not escape you that uh, Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos um, said he personally considers a, you know, a vaccine mandate inevitable and that it will be up to the provinces to introduce it. This certainly was not done by accident. This is, I guess, what we would call a trial balloon. And, of course, it's easy for him to do because, you know, he puts it on the provinces then to become the boogeyman. I mean, if 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 Justin Trudeau wants a vaccine mandate, why is he not calling back the House and, um, you know, pushing forward the Emergencies Act and he can do it himself? Because it's unlawful. <laughs> and, and the Minister of Health knows that his own lawyers have said so in writing, absolutely <laughs> cold, black and white writing, uh, Department of Health Council, uh, going way back in 1996. And a report on national report on immunization said other countries have mandatory vaccination. We can't do that in this country because it's unconstitutional. We have a charter of rights. You can't do it. It's illegal. He can't do it. And so no province has asked for mandatory vaccination, and none will, and certainly no premier who wants to be reelected. I don't know what the health minister is up to. Um, this was not a good idea. He must know, uh, he's an educated man, that you can't do that in this country. And yet, uh, as you point out, these trial balloons continue, Alex. It's a pretty dangerous game um, because it's it stokes a lot of, of division and it further entrenches those who are willing to, to die on this hill. But there are an awful lot of people who are not out there marching in the streets. There are a lot of people from indigenous communities, a lot of people from um, Caribbean communities. They just simply don't trust the government. They make up a huge portion of the numbers of who are not getting vaccinated. And so the prime ministers essentially call them misogynistics and, uh, and racist. But this is a dangerous game coming from a, a government, Tom, as you well know, that has flip-flopped on this issue quite a few times. I mean, I think it was uh, January 2020, uh, 14th, January 14th, 2020, by your reporting, that Justin Trudeau said, I, I won't do vaccine pa mandates. I just don't believe in them. They're unfair. And now he's all in. He did. He called them extreme and divisive. It's also a f the fact, uh, Alex, there's almost no data on who has declined a vaccination to date. And there is anecdotal evidence that a very large number are simply shift workers who can't book an appointment because it's often yeah. inconvenient. You know, not everyone works bankers hours. I know that that's a shocker for some people in the uh, uh, Twitterverse and, frankly, cabinet. Uh, yeah, no, I, not I, many have the prime minister's hours either. Oh, exactly. I mean, I mean, I, I, I know shift workers. I know people who work in mm -hmm. construction. They said, I, I'm not taking time off to line up for three hours to get a shot when I mainly do my work alone anyway. So it's, I think, a mistake to assume that the very low number of Canadians who are not vaccinated have declined a vaccination to date are somehow, um, you know, zealots or really um, enthusiastic civil libertarians. And it's a mistake to presume that they can be vilified and they're going to take it and they're going to like it. Because you know what? They're Canadians too, Alex. These are our people. They are our neighbors and friends. They are Canadians too. 
Yeah, and when you're prime minister, you have to tolerate all of the people. And it's interesting. Uh, to your point, I, I'm not. I mean, I had to go it on my own and get it. It took me four weeks. Uh, it took me four weeks to get a shot. And, and so it is. If you don't have a company helping you, or you don't have an organization doing it for you, a nice photo op like the pre, you know the politicians get, it does take a little bit of legwork. And for a shift worker who can't uh, get benefits or whatever, that's money out of their pocket. Um, let me flip on to a couple of other stories you guys have uh, dug up. It, you almost want to laugh at these, but I mean, honestly. You know, Parliament now must show fiscal discipline. Um, we've got the biggest deficits we've ever seen in this country. We just went through pandemic spending of at least $511 billion, and we're not even counting uh, that properly yet. And now they're just saying, hey, can we get a bit of fiscal discipline from the uh, chartered professional accountants of the, uh, I guess, um, you know, the people in charge of our books are saying this? These are the accountants' petition uh... Uh, accountants petitioned to a pre-budget consultation on the Commons Finance Committee. What's interesting is they said in their submission, this is a bad time for tax increases. But Cabinet has said it will increase taxes. It plans to oh, increase billions yeah. in taxes, and, and they said so in the, the, the election campaign, and that's where they're headed. It's interesting, Alex. You know, the finance minister, Christia Freeland, had said, by her, this is her account, this is not uh, conspiracy talk, her numbers, her numbers, that she would cut the deficit by $180 billion this year, which would be spectacular. I can tell you, you cannot do that if you plan to. The fiscal year starts in a matter of weeks without it getting out. And I can tell you, there is no sign of austerity on Parliament Hill, zero. So either she made it up or <laughs> there are simply spectacular and gruesome uh, budget cuts that are pending. No one thinks that's going to happen. The, the wheels are off the bus, Alex. It's joker's wild on financing now. And indeed, the chartered professional accounts are saying you, you, this, is, this is not good. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy how much, uh, how little oversight there has been in, in a time period when there needs to be more than, and, you know, than any before. And then you've got, um, you know, uh, you've got the ombudsman coming out and saying, well, Federal departments have to stop conducting business with their favorite contractors, you know. So essentially, these guys are calling them up and, you know, their buddies and giving them a heads up of here's what you need to do and here's how you get this contract and here we're going to be putting this out for bids. So here's your heads up. Apparently, they're not supposed to do that, which they should know because it's very clearly against the rules. And one of those that comes to uh, top of the list is uh, then Public Works Minister Anita Anand, who apparently arranged a phone call with a Toronto supplier subsequently then who got a $200 million contract for pandemic ventilators. I bet, and because I know you've reported it, there are going to be many, 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 many of these unearthed. It's against the rules. They couldn't be any plainer, but... Alex, we're not reaching for the stars here on accountability, are we? You wouldn't do this at the Town Works Department at Nipawa, Manitoba. You would not have the manager of the garage discussing a contract with one bidder on the phone. They do that here all the time. This is the government of Canada does this. You wouldn't get away with this no. in the... In the, in the smallest village council, this is how our G7 country rolls. And the procurement ombudsman in review at report after review report has said, stop, you guys have to stop this. And they won't stop it. And it's exactly why you said, Alex, because it comes right from the top. Cabinet ministers do it. That's how this place works.
Yeah. And then, you know, it speaks right to the we scandal where, you know, they're making phone calls to their buddies and making sure. I mean, that's just one of many, 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 um, you know, that came to light. So you can only imagine the ones that have not yet been unearthed. It's going to I think, make, make people choke. Contracting is really rotten. I mean, that's why we have a contracting ombudsman. Contracting is really rotten and has been for some time. I am, am absolutely mystified by the reputation the former public works minister Anita Anand enjoyed when she was transferred to Minister of National Defense. I see many, many a newspaper columnist saying, my goodness, with talent like that, amazing talent like that, what's she going to do for the military? I have to, I can only assume they haven't spoken to any contractors or actually covered her performance in cabinet. It's blood curdling, Alex. Yeah, well, we'll see, because that story has yet to be written in totality. So I will finish up on this one. So Attorney General David Lametti is now weighing into, I don't know why he's doing this, but he's written a letter to the senators um, questioning whether police were less aggressive with white protesters opposed to vaccine mandates than the Black Lives Matter demonstrations we have seen. And he, I don't know where he's getting this. He cited a report from the CBC um, that suggested that the police treatment of indigenous protesters differs starkly from white protesters. Uh, this is completely unfounded. What is he talking about? I, I do recall the prime minister during a pandemic went into the crowd of Black Lives Matter and took a knee with them. I, I recall yeah. a black uh, police chief taking a knee with Black Lives Matter. What is he talking about? Well, it sounds good, and it's the sort of divisive rhetoric that is the worst of American politics that's been imported into this country by political operatives yeah. who think it will work for them. It's a really dark and cynical contrived and unpleasant tactic. Uh, it sounds like uh, Attorney General Ometti has a hell of a story there. If only he had data. Instead, he cited <laughs> one election commentary by one CBC pundit. Show me the arrest data that says mostly white, I'm quoting the CBC, God bless them, mostly white uh, uh, COVID demonstrators were given a softer time by police than mostly black demonstrators and Black Lives Matters. That sounds like a hell of a claim for an attorney general of a G7 country to make. I can't wait to see the figures, but he didn't bother, Alex. He's just asking the open-ended questions. Uh, honestly, in between the various members of cabinet dragging the chain on how they are a disapproval of their fellow citizens on various hot-button topics. You know, Kim Campbell, not someone I quote often, used to say there's a lot of buttons to push in this country. Don't be going around pushing buttons. And mm. they're, they, 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 they're not taking that advice. It's good advice, Alex. It's too late. Way too late and way too divided. And, uh, and it's really gross. And I think uh, that's why, of course, we've seen the division we have seen in this country. Nonetheless, don't let this get in the way of storing political points. Tom, always appreciate it. I, I have, there's like 20 other stories you guys have, and I guess we'll just pick those up on Wednesday. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Tom Gorski is the managing editor over at Black Locks Reporter. This is subscription-based. It is worth every single penny, but of course, if you miss it, don't have it. We talk to Tom on Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 o'clock sharp. You're on point on Global News Radio.